Kia ora team and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. My name is Noel Wolof and on today's episode I'm joined by Millie Kumar. Have you ever tried an ice cream which core ingredient is made out of cauliflower? Neither had I until I sat down to have a conversation with Millie who's the co-founder of Eat Kinder, a world first cauliflower ice cream company right here in New Zealand. Through Beyond the Surface, I love shining a light on young entrepreneurs achieving cool shit and also pushing the barriers for what is possible. Millie is definitely doing both of those things with her company, Eat Kinder. If you want to check out the ice cream, which again is made out of cauliflower, check them out in Countdown and they're also in Hell's Pizza nationwide. Thanks again for all of the support if you're listening or watching this episode. Please remember that all episodes are available via YouTube as well, so you can actually watch the full conversation if you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The support this year on the podcast has been amazing, so just want to say a massive thanks. It was really humbling seeing some awesome analytics pop through Spotify Wrapped. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome to episode number 28. I'm Millie Kuma. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Eat Kinder. We're the creators behind world-first cauliflower-based ice cream. Epic. Um, I think I actually tried your ice cream and we got a sample here on the table today. So we're into some live taste testing, which I'm absolutely fizzed about. But um, I think I first tasted this at Field Days last year. Um, I think it was like a stand with Massey University. And everybody throughout Field Days, there was so many people, you know, there's like 50,000 people go through that. And everyone was talking about your ice cream. And first, I just thought thought people were having regular ice cream. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's nice, you know, giving away freebies. And then people were like, you got to try this. This is actually like the core ingredient is cauliflower. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to get into that. But what makes cauliflower such a profound ingredient when it comes to ice cream? Yeah, that field days was actually a really good chance. It was the first time we were sharing it with the masses and we got incredible feedback. I guess the highlight was, you know, some of the getting some of the farmers to try it. Yeah. A little bit like anti at first. Totally. Try and they were like, oh, it's not that bad. So it was really, really good. Yeah, so cauliflower, it's a great ingredient um, for many reasons. Number one, it's quite a light colour, so we can manipulate it like we want in different flavours. It's easy to work with. We think one of the reasons it's so good in the ice cream is because of the fibre content. Uh, so just to clarify, there's no dairy in the ice cream. So it is dairy-free, and so cauliflower is essentially helping with that creamy texture that dairy would provide. Mm. So, yeah, the fibre plays a really good role in that. That's insane. And you, you mentioned in your introduction that this is a world first. Is it? Are you guys the only people in the world that is making cauliflower ice cream? Because it's very yeah. niche. Commercially, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Not that, and we, we've, we've done our research. We have not been able to find anyone else that's commercially selling it around the world. That's incredible. Um, and how does cauliflower ice cream stack up to traditional ice cream? I'm sure you probably in effect to all of this, you've become quite knowledgeable about ice cream. I'll leave, I'll leave that to you, Noel. I think if you try and let me know what you think. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll get into that soon. But we'll, um, I'm also really keen just to understand your story as well. Like you, you studied at Massey University, but I'm really keen to get an understanding from growing up who is Millie and what were some of those key moments that shaped you to now become an entrepreneur owning a cauliflower ice cream company? Yeah, sure, thanks. So I'm from here from Wellington. I grew up in Berenpore, uh, went to Berenpore School. So even if I go before that, you know, my parents, I'm first generation Kiwi. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents migrated, I'm assuming like 20, 30 years ago. Uh, my dad came and worked in one of the first Indian restaurants in Wellington. Wow. So when like the Indian food wave was coming in and then he went on to have his own restaurant. Uh, so I literally grew up in Alam Bay in the takeaway, like 
playing, colouring in while they, my parents used to, you know, make kebabs and curries. So I guess I saw entrepreneurship mm. and food growing up and I saw that and I think that's what's a big part of who I am today mm. and really inspired me to be creative with food as well. Were they happy memories when you look back on them or were they also, because I know what Hosmo's like, it's stressful. My mum had a stint owning a cafe in Titahi Bay. So very similar to you when I was eight years old, you know, I was just spending most of my days there. Yeah. Um, when you reflect back on those memories of your dad working at this um, takeaway restaurant, what sort of feelings do you get from them? Yeah, I was really young. I was like two or three years old. And then I remember like mum used to, you know, in breaks take me to the library and we'd bike around. I think it was good. I was happy. Um, I remember all the customers used to keep me entertained. They used to come and hang out with me. That's cool. And used to call me a chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I remember it was quite a good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you went to Wellington High School. So what made your decision to go study um, at Massey University with the degree that you – what was it, food science? Yeah, so I actually wanted to be a baker. Mm. Um, so I remember in the kitchen I used to do a lot of creative stuff, in the, in, you know, trying to make eggless cakes – um, and doing a lot of innovation there. And that's why I wanted to do hospitality at high school. Then I got introduced to food technology at Wellington High and my teachers were really, really good. And I did like a crest competition and I, I understood that actually I like the creative element of the mm. baking. And that's what led me to do food tech at Massey. For people who aren't familiar with food tech, what is food technology? Yeah, so, you know, all their products in the supermarket, you know, from baked beans to, you know, milk to bread. There's food technologists that are developing it in, like, your kitchen lab, and then they're commercialising it. So they're taking, like, a formulation, a recipe, and scaling it up so that people around the world can eat it. Mm. And with food, you've got to make sure it's safe. Mm. So that's a big part of it. You also need to make sure that all the products are the same. You know, you don't want to buy, you know, tip-top bread one day and it tastes different the next day, so making sure it's consistent. So that's all part of being a food technologist mm. so there's parts of science and also creativity and so that's what I really liked about it the the I guess the amalgamation of the both you can blend them all like in and together yeah um that's really interesting and so talk to me about how you discovered your sort of journey into entrepreneurship I think I knew I think as I said you know my dad had you know run a restaurant yeah. so it was always around me mm. uh, so I guess it's just in my blood a little bit I yeah. guess but I also knew when I was at uni, I've always, <laughs> the funny thing is, I always struggled getting up in the morning. Not a morning like, person? <laughs> not a morning person. And I always struggled and for many reasons. I think more just, you know, being a female, there's a lot of hormonal mm. re- reasons. Mm. And back then I couldn't figure that out. Mm. And so I was like, man, I could not get up and go to work 8 a.m. every day. Like I'll struggle. Yeah. And I even saw at uni, I wouldn't go to lectures because I just struggled to get out of bed. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean like I still do well at uni, so mm. I just work differently. And so that was a big reason, actually. Not many people know this, that I it was like, you know, I just need to do my own thing so I can do my <laughs> own schedule. Funnily enough, now I'm getting up at crazy times what's and sleeping your, at crazy times. But yeah. yeah, What's your like? What's your average day looking like now in terms of waking up to, you know, the end of the day? What does that look oh, like? Oh, it's so varied. Like this, I just moved back to Wellington in like sort of August. I've probably been less home than I've been more out travelling for work. Mm. Uh, so when I'm at Auckland making product, we're getting up 7am, 6am, it's awful and yeah. I hate it. So I have my matcha to keep me going. Got to do it. But when I'm at home, like, I'm not getting out until 11am. Nice, you know? nice, <laughs> so. nice. Protect that special time, mate. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, yeah, so many people, you're either like a morning person or like or like a night owl. Do, do Like, are you up late or...? I used to be. I used to be a late out. I used to like be able to like work to like two in the morning, get all my assignments done. But now I'm like 
dead. It's funny, yeah, yeah. You reach of. like, and we're both twenty five. Like, you kind of reach that halfway to fifty point. And I'm the same, eh? I'm like, I'm just such a granddad now. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I low-key love just like being in bed at nine o'clock. Yeah. It's the best feeling. Yeah, yeah. So good. Um, cool. So your journey into entre- entrepreneurship, so you've kind of realized that you want to create, um, I guess, your own structure and routine to work around your life. And I think for many people who are at the slave to the nine to five, the sort of corporate rat race, you know, we get fit, we get chucked into these, Binary sort of boxes, basically. You know, you've got to be in the office from nine to five. I know a lot more, a lot more offices and like workplaces are being a lot more flexible. Um, but sort of further to that, what has been some of the some of the key learnings for you so far starting out with being an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I had not done a business degree getting into this. I've learned everything on the job. Wow. So do you want me to talk a little bit about how this started? Totally. Go yeah. into it. So. Did my food technology degree. Literally the day of finishing it, I went to a startup weekend, which is like a business pitch competition. And it was just for fun in uh, Hawara and Taranaki. Mm. And I turned up and that's where I met my now co-founder, Jenny Matheson. And she had this idea of a cauliflower-based ice cream. Um, she'd been vegan for about 20 years. Back then, nothing on the market. Still mm. now, that quite been an early stage. Tough, eh, being vegan yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, and she lives surrounded by dairy farms. Wow. So she got a lot of hate, I, you know, Quite bluntly, she was told mm. she was being cruel to her children, raising them vegan. So it was really important to her that she made delicious treats in her kitchen for when the friends of her kids came around from school. Mm. And that's where she created this cauliflower-based ice cream, and that was like the hit. I think she tried like lots of other veggies as well. Uh, and so she brought this recipe along and the idea, and I was like, man, this is cool. I don't want to do another techie <laughs> you know, idea. So I, I joined a team, and we did really well. I tried the product. I was like, man, this is cool. Mm. Uh, and then afterwards, I remember we went for some sushi, and we were like, should we give this a crack? Very naively. We didn't know what was involved, and we gave it a crack, and here we are like three years later. Um, and we literally learned everything, right? And something else that's quite cool is, you know, I was 22 when I started she was 50, going mm. on to 50, so very different different in age. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so we did, like, accelerator programs, a lot of research in my own time, and just making really good mentors and supervisors that sort of helped me with that. Mm. That's incredible. Do you kind of believe in faith, like, you guys yeah. joining up at that moment? Yeah, 100%. We're both quite spiritual in some ways, yeah. and we always talk about it. We're like, it's just meant to be, you know? How, how, is, how does stuff like this happen? Mm. And we work really well together That's well. awesome. Yeah. So... You guys kind of formed this relationship and this alliance at this accelerator sort of weekend. What at what step sort of after sushi were you like, okay, you know, there's actually real potential here, and like, what were those sort of next steps? Because I think everybody has ideas, but you know, actually bringing those ideas into action is a whole is a whole different story. So yeah, t- talk to me about like those sort of next sort of six to eight months following that that sushi catch-up? Yeah. I'm just trying to think back because it was like a while ago now. Um, so while I was doing – while, while we started doing the e kind of thing, I'd already enrolled in a master's program at Food Tech, like mm. a Food Tech master's program. And so I was going to do the master's and start e kind on the side. And then e kinders pace just went from because we did a few accelerator programs. And through that accelerator program, we were held accountable. Mm. You know, weekly we were doing things. And both of us were passionate as well, right? And so we kept moving forward. Um, and then there was like this pitch competition that we came 
finalists in and we got a little bit of fat cash to help us grow. Mm. So I think it was just the being held accountable, having that support network around us that helped us keep going. Mm. Um, because it was really hard. Like we didn't have any skills, we didn't have any money. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people were like, I remember a conversation I had early on. We were like, you're never going to get us in the supermarkets, you know? There's so many products out there. So is you always some tall poppy syndrome? Like maybe, but I think reality is it's really hard to get in the supermarkets. Mm. And so we were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do this product. We'll get in the supermarkets. And people were like, oh, you know, why don't why don't you guys think smaller? And then I remember one mentor came. One of the mentors we had was like, guys, you should be thinking big. Like mm. you can do anything. And so it was just all these different conversations we had over time that kind of like helped us create the strategy. Like mm. if I was to think where we, what we were thinking early on to where we are now, it's so different mm. you know if you were to sort of like break down the process for listeners of the show who might have a have a business idea in mind um, or they might be entrepreneurs themselves if you were to break down like the process of launching and scaling a product into market into like teachable bite-sized pieces of information that you could give to other people who might be you know on that journey as well where, where would you break down those parts of your story and like what yep. sort of advice could you tangibly give to people? Yeah, so I can give a few things. So I think number one is do your research on the problem. Mm. Like I think the reason we've been so successful so quickly is because we're actually solving a problem. It's not just another product in the market. You know, veganism is growing. People are wanting more plant-based foods. They're more sustainable and we're hitting those points that consumers are demanding for mm. and there's nothing on the market that compares in terms of quality, right? And so that's really important. So if you've got a business idea, actually go and talk to people and ask them, you know, what are your problems? Do you think the solution is going to solve it? If yes, why? If no, why? And keep iterating that. And we've done that throughout the process. Mm. I remember early days we went out and did all these like online surveys. We did in-person interviews with lots of different people. And we then went back to them. And then we did like blind taste testings with our product. And that's why it's, I'd say, pretty good and mm. has that mass appeal. Wow. What, and with the blind taste testing, were you putting your ice cream amongst like, like dairy products? Yeah, so we did a blind taste testing with our stra strawberry and chocolate. We did it with our strawberry, Haagen-Dazs dairy strawberry, and then I think it was Motueka creamery. Mm. And like it was very on par. You know, people really couldn't tell the difference and the like scores were very similar. And I think that's where we knew we are onto something. Wow. Because people can't tell that difference. And that was our goal. We want to make a product yep. that is comparable in terms of dairy, we're not competing against other vegan, we're comparing against the mainstream dairy market. Mm, yeah, that's massive, eh? Um, and who, who are the real big players in the ice cream like market? Yeah, so... Who, who are your competitors? Probably Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Because I'm thinking global. Like we're, we're, we're set to make this into a global brand. It's awesome. And it'll be Ben and Jerry's, right? Yeah. And our my dream would be that Unilever, who owns Ben and Jerry's, wants to buy our company mm. and make it... A, put it out into their global network. Mm, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, and like how big is the ice cream industry market? Like Globally. How, oh, billions how big of dollars. Is billions of dollars. It's huge. It is huge. <laughs> um, when it comes to like sales and stuff as well, there's a real seasonality when it comes to, I guess, ice cream sales. They must go off in summer. Um, has that been something strategic within um, the thinking of the business as well? Like how do we sort of keep afloat on those, you know, the, the winter periods where people aren't really going out and consuming ice cream as much? Yeah, so I think we're very early stages in that process because we're just about to enter supermarket. So I don't exactly know what it's going to look like. Obviously, there's going to be some seasonality differences. However, from what I've heard from people is 
in New Zealand, we love our ice cream. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> such like, I'll have a chock bar in winter, eh? Yeah. I'm so, I'm so yeah. stoked with that. Exactly. So I think, yeah, there might be some differences, but I reckon there should be still sales. Mm. Uh, but that it'd be interesting to see, like, what kind of marketing strategies do we do or kind of, you know, different products do we launch to be able to still keep our uh, sales going through mm. winter. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm really keen and I'd love for you to speak to and as much as you can share just around like your supply chain, like from working with growers because you've got cauliflowers obviously, um, all the way into like production and then scaling and then like working with different retailers to sell on um, your products. Like what does that, what does that line sort of look like? Yeah, so one of our main ingredients is cauliflower and we're actually wanting to use cosmetically imperfect cauliflower. So globally, 40% of veggies never make it off the farms mm. and so we're trying to solve that problem. And so we're working with farmers to get the stuff that would be left unharvested or isn't pretty enough for the supermarkets and that's honestly been quite a big challenge because mm. their processes are set. You know, it's really hard to come in and be like, hey, look, how do we change your processes to then you know, use this produce. Mm. And so that's an ongoing project for me. We're slowly working through that. Um, and also there's seasonality. So, yeah, I think that's been a big challenge for us, trying to get the cauliflower cosmetically in perfect supply. However, we grow cauliflower all year round. We grow it in different regions. So supply in general hasn't been that much of an issue. Mm. Uh, and so what was the rest of the question? Just like, yeah, so you got work of the growers. Like what does that sort of production line look like from, you know, Work of the growers, getting the cauliflower, um, the production at the factory, and then like obviously packaging it up and selling it. Yeah, so we get the we get all the raw materials in. At the moment, we're making it ourselves by hand. These are all hand filled. Really? Yeah. So it's big job, long hours, big team that does it at this place called the Food Bowl in Auckland, which mm. is like a big um, sort of like a factory that people anyone can come and use. By the way, it's part of the New Zealand uh, food. I can't even remember the full form. Food Innovation Network, yeah. sorry. Nice. Food oh, Innovation we have an Network. acronym for something, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got, they can like just put lots of different pieces of equipment together to make your product. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're there right now and we're transitioning to a contract manufacturer. Mm, true. So hopefully we won't have to do it by hand. And the challenges in New Zealand, we're so small, we don't have that many yeah. places to be able to manufacture. So that's another big challenge we've had. Mm. Um, and so then you make the product, we then package it in our tubs and then we get put onto pallets, get sent to like a distribution distributor like that will store it in freezing frozen conditions mm -hmm. and then distribute it out to our customers. Mm, so that's that. our job. And then after that, we hope for the best really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hopefully it doesn't mouse in the truck or <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um should we crack into some? I'm really yeah. keen to really keen to try one. Oh cool. So there's I've just opened the lid. So there's people watching and some people just listening. And how do you get that? Ah, oh, okay, nice. Are you gonna have some with me? No, you have some. I have, I have it all the time. Yeah, how often are you putting back? Actually, not like all ice the time. Cream? I'm lying because we don't get it's all in Auckland. It's so hard to have down. And yeah, uh, true. I wish we got more for our own product. Um, <laughs> visually, this is looking really nice. There's like a little spiral um, with some. What would you call that? So it's not like jelly. Swirl. Swirl. A swirl with a ripple in it. With yeah. a ripple in it. That's way better at describing it. So you're trying the strawberry. The strawberry. Um, and you did pay me to give a good review. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we're so early stage startup. I couldn't even find one. Mmm, it's like the texture is exactly like a standard ice cream. Well, it is to me anyway. It's actually so wild that this is made out of cauliflower. Yeah, it's fucking delicious. Didn't pay him. I promise. <laughs> that is insane, and totally like gluten free, dairy free. 
Has it got much sugar? So I would say we're on par, if not lower, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. most ice creams. Compared to vegan ice creams, definitely lower. So a lot of vegan ice creams, because of their formulation, uh, they tend to be hard in texture and icy in texture, and that's yep. the problem we wanted to solve. Um, and to make it softer and more scoopable, they pump it with more sugar. Because uh, okay. what sugar does technically is lower the freezing depression point. Um, so it lowers the temperature where water freezes, mm-hmm. and so you can scoop it more. And so because of our formulation and our process, we don't have to do that. So our sugar is on par for mm. ice cream. Mm. That's actually an incredible way. That is so crazy. And did it always, like, how much has the ingredients and the flavour changed since you guys first started? A lot. So what it was, what Jenny made in the kitchen, like, for her family to what it is now is hugely different. Mm. And that's because what you do in the kitchen versus scaling it up and when you're making thousands and thousands of litres is so different, right? Mm. And so that's it's been incredible to see that change. Yeah. And from like a food technology perspective, I guess it's kind of like the perfect match with you and your co-founder, but like what has been some of the, the like trickiest challenges for you to solve from like a food technology perspective perspective on this ice cream product? Yeah, look, we're doing a world first, right? There's no answers. I can't Google That's and so find epic. an answer. Um, and so it's just been a lot of trial and error. And I think the key is having good people around you. Mm. I was very lucky that I had support from my lecturers from my food tech degree mm. at uni who really supported me along the journey and I had other people I could just reach out to. Mm. Yeah. And like what, like what sort of problems are you trying to solve from like a food technology perspective? Is it like, is there so, there must be so much science going into, we need to ensure we've got the right like texture, like it must just go on and on and on. The flavour must be so important. Like how do you, how do you solve those problems? Again, having really good people around you and doing lots of trial and error. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest challenge is, you know, you're literally taking a formulation that's you're making like maybe two litres in your kitchen yeah. and then you're ramping that up to thousands of litres, mm. you know, and that just – there's just so much that goes into that. Mm. You know, I can't just point out one thing. There's just so much. Yeah, there's yeah. so much in there. Um, <laughs> I really want to just like finish all of it on this episode, <laughs> eh? but I know all, like, everyone listening will just hear like – and it won't be nice in your ears. It's good ASMR. Yeah, yeah, it is like ASMR. Um, that's awesome. And you've recently got these into uh, like the Hell's, Hell's Pizza as well. That's yeah. Hu- that must be huge for you guys. Yeah. Can you talk about how that how that came to fruition? So, a <laughs> very Kiwi story. Yeah. One of my really good friends was just works in the Cuba Street Hell Pizza. Yeah. And she told her manager who loved the story, told her boss. And then next thing I know, we're with samples like a year ago. So not like probably like three versions before this. It wasn't mm. as good as what it is now. We turn up to their office and give them samples and they loved it. They were like, this is so good. And they just worked with us and waited until we were ready. And we were so like grateful to them, mm. to the team uh, and super supportive. So March this year, we launched and, and we had a six week trial period yep. with them. Yep. And we launched our strawberry and our mint flavor. Yep. We sold out in pretty much four weeks. Far and out. we did not pay on, we don't have money. We did not pay for any marketing. That was just them doing a bit of a brand push and organically sort of the people who had been following our story mm. and just, it got hot. Mm. It was on a, a lot of the, you know, uh, news channels, like the Edge posted about yep. it, stuff posted about it. And so now because it did so well, we have a one-year contract with them. That's cool. And what what is the, like, for that one-year contract, does that mean that they, they're supplying that? It's like, it's like on their menu? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. You can go in. It's in their store, 77 stores nationwide. Crazy. You can order it online. Yeah, the strawberry and the chocolate is now in their stores. I guess from like a marketing perspective as well, like there's such a bonus for different organisations who have to sort of get with the times, understand like their, their 
economic and environmental impacts um, and how they can sort of like cater like more diverse food ranges. So something like this, you know, it's obviously got massive benefits to a to an organisation like Howes, where they can be like, hey, look, you know, we're at the forefront of trialling this like cauliflower ice cream product. Like, yeah, from, I'd be interested to hear your take. Like, why, why do you think Howes Pizza is so invested into um, your your ice cream. Yeah, so the reason we wanted to work with Hell Pizza as well was because they are really good at catering to dietary requirements, mm. you know, gluten-free, yeah. vegan. They've got amazing selections. Uh, and so we knew that it's a good place for our, you know, our early adopters to find it. Mm. Uh, and that's why we wanted to partner with them. They're also doing some really cool stuff around the environmental sustainability piece. So it was Yes, they, you know, for them it looks good to be partnering with us, but for also for us, we're very choosy who we work with yeah. and because we're so strong about our brand values. Uh, so it was a great partnership. Mm. And I think that's why it worked, you know. Consumers are wanting to lower their environmental footprint and yeah. so if you give them a product that tastes amazing, mm. they're going to make that switch. Mm. How do you guys, like, protect your intellectual property, like your IP as well? Like, the, in terms of the product? Yeah, because I'm sure it's, it's kind of like the K- – we were talking earlier, like, off, off air, but it's almost like the KFC – like special formula, right? Yeah. Like or like the the Krabby Patty for, formula of SpongeBob. It's like you know, there's this really integral, amazing part of this um, this end result, which other people don't know. That's your competitive advantage. But yeah, like how do you like maintain the IP? Because I'm sure lots of as this is also a world first. Lots of different businesses would be like, oh, you know, let's jump on the next thing. Oh, these guys are doing cauliflower ice cream. How can we do that? And yeah. yeah. So we are just doing trade secret. So we just make sure we keep it very tight with yeah. the people that know and don't spread around what we're doing. You know, you could go down the patent route, but it is more expensive. And it, what, you, what happens when you do a patent is it gives your formulation or your secret to the world after a certain amount of time. Uh, what, so, what is a patent? What, what, is, what does that mean? So what it means is pretty much you register your secret, uh, in a document and mm-hmm. then it goes through a process, it gets approved and then you own it. So pretty much if let's say you came and copied me, mm-hmm. I can be like, hey, I've got a patent on this and I can, I guess, sue you. Uh, uh, but that costs money. So there's a lot of reasons why sometimes going down the patent route just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And for us, that's it just doesn't make sense for yeah. us. It makes sense just to trade secret it, be really strong around, you know, doing really good NDAs, mm. which are non-disclosure agreements. Mm. Uh, so if people are coming into our factory or we're talking to them about our product or our process, there is some sort of yeah. written record of who knows about it. So if anything does go wrong or if anyone does try and copy, it could be like, hey, man, you signed this NDA. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It just keeps people accountable. Do yeah. you have, like, the secret formula locked in, like, a hidden vault somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Under the mattress or something? In my brain. In your brain. In your brain. Oh, that's super cool. Um, that's amazing. And do you think there's, like, is that at a stage where there's health benefits for cauliflower ice cream over ordinary dairy product ice cream? Yeah, well, the thing is, like, people don't really eat ice cream to be healthy. Mm. And so for us, that nutritional benefit has just not been something we've even Your considered, portion. right? Yeah. Yeah. For us, it's been how do we make a bloody good product that solves consumers' problems and makes them feel happy when mm. they eat it because it's ice cream. Mm. Uh, and however, the, the feedback I've gotten, you know, people have told me it's lower calorie than what they're eating. They're telling me that they like the amount of sugar. They like it's not that sweet. So we're getting that consumer feedback, and that's just a bonus on top. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And within the, like, rapid scale and rise of Eat Kinder, like, what have been some of those key lessons for you as you're, you know, basically building the aeroplane while you're flying it? <laughs> Becoming like a, you know, a business owner. Yeah. That must be 
it must just be a crazy like rapid rise and you're just getting started. So yeah, what, what are some of those key key sort of moments on your journey so far? Key moments on our journey. Um, I think you might, you might relate to this, Noah, like because we're both 25. Mm. I think it's interesting because we're just figuring out how to be adults. And now I'm trying to, I'm figuring out how to be an adult and get up in the morning. Yeah. And then I'm also having to like literally grow a startup. Yeah. And so I think that's been a challenge, but mm. also I'm learning a lot. Mm. Uh, you know, just things, how do you manage doing the dishes and then yeah. doing emails and, you know, it's just that, you know, people sometimes think, you know, we're out doing things, going to conferences, all glamorous, but the reality is I'm still having to do the dishes yeah. and vacuum and feed myself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the, that's been probably mm. a learning, like how do I manage that? And I'm still figuring it out. I don't, I don't actually have the answer to it. That's such a, that's yeah. such, that's such good insight actually. Um, what pushes you to keep going? What's like mo- motivating you behind this? Yeah, so when I started this journey, I mean, I'd been vegetarian all my life. Mm. So there was value alignment there. But once I started this journey, I came more and more in touch with what's actually going around in the food industry mm. and the reality of the animal agricultural industry. And that was a shock. Um, and I think knowing what I know now, it just motivates me to really want to make a change. And also for New Zealand, like, you know, you would know New Zealand, dairy is our biggest export. Mm. As a country, if something goes wrong, and look, the reality is it is going wrong. This mm. is probably not the place to talk about it, but it can have massive consequences for all of us who live in this country. And we're just not talking about it. We're just not trying to find solutions. And that also motivates me, you know, if I can grow a business that is not dairy, but mm. still in the food, and we can, you know, leverage some of those, you know, global supply chains we have. Mm. Uh, it will just help our country, you know? Yeah. And also show people that, hey, let's keep innovating in food. Let's yeah. not just rely on dairy and animal-based agriculture to yeah. grow our economy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so true, eh? It's, um, I feel like we're at, like, a real curve point of, like, just innovation with food techno- technology. Like, there's so many like meat alternatives out there for like hamburgers, like sausages. And I remember I was up at the Auckland food show, um, I think last month or so. And yeah, walking around there and like trying all of this alternative, like food technology, like again, if if this was like a blind, um, like a blind food test, I'd be like, there's, there's totally like beef, but it's not, it's like, it's, it's a plant-based alternative. It's crazy. Um, do you, do you think we got a long way to go to like, I guess, pushing the psyche for more New Zealanders to actually change their behaviour around how they purchase these things? Yeah, I think, so I'm very lucky I got to go overseas this year to a different mm. player. I was in India, I was in Singapore, I went to the States, Aussie, and so I've been able to really see what's happening in these markets in terms of the old protein movement. And, you know, they're mm. way ahead of us in terms mm. of products, brands, and the the I guess the benefit they have is they've got facilities to help them scale and they've got resource, you know, all these startups when I was in the States in this conference, they were talking about how they've got a billionaire supporting them. And I was like, where's my billionaire? I want a billionaire, but we just don't have billionaires We've in got New a few billionaires that listen to the show. So um, if anyone well, wants to invest <laughs> and also sponsor the podcast, please. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a whole different world, right? And I think we just don't have those resources yeah. backing us, not early on anyway. Mm. You know, you have to do a lot of hard grind to get to the point where people really want to back you. And so it's just... It's just hard and tiring. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that yeah, going overseas, it was really interesting to see where they're at. In New Zealand, believe it or not, we are very sustainability conscious, if that makes sense. Mm. We're, you know, we're, being, we're seeing big trends, people wanting to be more flexitarian. Yeah. 
I think, honestly, our products are being bought not just by vegans. I think I don't even know how many vegans are buying it. They're mm. being bought by people who actually eat dairy and meat and love it because it's a really good ice cream. Totally. And so we as a country are very open to it. It's more the question how do we package it up in a way that the global market wants it from us and mm. how do we compete on the global stage and what kind of resources do we need to do that? And a lot of, I'm having a lot of conversations with people you know, up there who are, having these, who are having these conversations and it's coming down to scalability, funding. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'll be a really interesting next few years to see what happens. Mm. I feel like you need to go like Silicon Valley or something and do some like Dragon Den pitches. Yeah, I'd love to, but it's just so hard to get in, eh? Yeah. yeah. You go there, they're like, oh, why are you coming here? You, you're here. You're like, why are you here? Why are you not there? It's just, mm. it's actually, it can be a bit of a challenge being a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is super interesting. And what are some of those... Like you mentioned earlier around the sort of agricultural consequences of how we've sort of positioned the food industry around dairy products. Um, like what, I guess for, for people listening, like this is such a, such a new topic to the podcast and to me also, but like why is, well, I've got a basic understanding of, of why this is, but I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your take. Like why is the current like reliance on animal products why is that not sustainable? Okay, so it's a huge topic. So we'll, I can probably go into a little bit on, into this. Mm. So, I mean, do you believe that the climate crisis is real to begin no, with? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> 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 the Earth's also flat. No, I so, I mean, you know, climate change, mm. everything warming up is a real problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, methane, what cows fart out, yeah. is a big contributor to that. Mm. Really basic, right? On top of that, you know, you're literally growing food that's feeding animals that is then going on to feed humans. That food can literally feed humans. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going really basic here. This is good. Um, also, you know, in New Zealand, you talk to your parents, New Zealand lakes and rivers were swimmable everywhere. Mm. Now over 70% are polluted. And when we have kids, if we have kids... <laughs> don't know if those would even be swimmable. And that's because of the of dairy farming and all the nutrient runoff going into the mm. into the oceans. So there's so many, on a very basic level, reasons why it's just not good for our country. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, there's, especially globally, there is more and more research coming around the health implications of a dairy and meat only diet. Uh, we're not having much fibre because there's so much dairy meat. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons, but on the core, in terms of environmental benefits and then there's also the animal welfare side of it mm. you know don't want to go too dark but oh, go, you know go there. like seriously <laughs> because like, this uh, whole thing with beyond the surface is like you know we want to go beyond the surface in terms of like the conversations that we have so yeah like go as deep as you as okay, you want okay. to, to, to paint the picture for it's people who might know. not understand yeah, yeah it's hard to know how, how much you want to go but like you know in the industry at the moment if you have a boy cow mm. Mm. A calf that's mm-hmm. killed it's like killed, the day yeah. next day, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and how that's not ethical. It is um, crazy, eh? I was at because I used to work at WorkSafe before. I don't know if I actually even like you know say say that, but um, yeah, and I did a lot of work in the agricultural sector around like harm, creating like harm reduction programs for farmers, and I learned I was going in there so green to understanding agriculture. And the industry, but yeah, I learned some pretty harrowing things, and that's the one thing that really stood out to me, especially in the dairy industry. Around, yeah, cows like bobbies being born, and they just go cull them. They just take them to the slaughter factory because it's a male cow; it can't produce milk, so therefore it's inefficient to production. It's like so 
so crazy. It's and I just don't. I feel like so many people, and I'm a, I'm a hypocrite because I also drink milk. But it's like such a. I don't think people really understand that side of farming. No. No. No, you talk to people even now and they're like, no, 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 that doesn't happen, Millie. Mm. It's ridiculous. I'm like, oh, God. Mm. <laughs> mm. And it's just not here. Like, I, you know, my family's in India and I go tell them and they have so much dairy. Um, and I tell them, you guys do realise what happens. They're like, no, Millie, that mm. doesn't happen. I'm like, okay, ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah, ignorance um, is bliss. So, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, it's just a lot of pain and I think in that industry and I mean look there's new technologies coming out which will be really interesting so I'm happy to share you know globally there's technologies called precision fermentation we're pretty much you know how we ferment beer mm-hmm. we'll be able to ferment milk proteins mm. and so there's no animals involved but you're getting the same protein and the same product at the end of it yeah and you know you're using sugar to feed like a yeast that has the DNA to make your casein that's mm. in milk one of the proteins mm. and then you're getting then you can make milk out of it and cheese out of it. Uh, and there's some really cool Kiwis, actually. So there's this guy called Matt Gibson, who's the founder of New Culture, who's making, using this technology, making mozzarella cheese that's about to launch in the States. And he left the state, left to the States to do this because New Zealand just didn't support him. Mm. And so when these technologies come up, what where does that leave New Zealand's dairy industry? Mm. And these are some of these conversations that are happening. Like New Zealand dairy is at is at a threat, mm. but no one really wants to talk about it. I think they're starting to now mm. in a very chill way. Yeah, yeah. I guess anything political, and it, it's it's so it's such a big challenge to solve because New Zealand has been birthed like the backbone. You always hear it, the backbone of the economy is the agricultural sector, and it's generations of New Zealanders who have you know. And, like, some of the farmers that I met through my old work, you know, like, some of the most hardworking and honest and, like, stand-up people you'll ever meet in your life. Like, they they, they, they do do, do do, they do, in like, <laughs> an, an incredible job with the work they do. It's, it's, it's fucking hard work. But, um, yeah, to, to shift a whole entire industry away into something new, it's like, yeah, I wonder what sort of levers the government sort of needs to pull to enact that change. Yeah, yeah. And, look, we're in... We're in the political, mm. very political time right now with yeah. the elections and, and none of them are talking about it. Nah. So it's really, really interesting, eh? Um, but hey, look, I think it's really, sh- what I think is really sad is farmers get a lot of the blame for all of this. Mm. It's not it's not them who should be the ones solving these problems. Mm. Like they're just doing their job. It needs to be the corporates mm. and the government, but more it needs to come from business, mm. right? Business need to clean their own shit. Yeah. And so these big, big businesses that are the ones who are involved with animal agriculture need to be the ones finding solutions. They're the ones with the deep pockets. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our government doesn't have much money, let's be honest. Yeah, not, <laughs> not anymore. There's <laughs> no. not much left. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So what if, if you had like a crystal ball and you're going to make like an assumption or you look into this crystal ball, what does the future of food technology and food production look like in New Zealand in 100 years? Oh, that's a hard one. God, you asked me too many hard questions this morning. <laughs> Sunday, I'm not, re- I'm not awake yet. <laughs> Have some um, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, yeah, look, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of questions coming up as like, should New Zealand just be relying on food as a whole for our, like, you know, for main income coming into the economy? Like, you know, I was talking to uh, – James was the CEO of KiwiNet literally a few days ago and he was talking about like how can we create New Zealand into like a deep tech ecosystem, you know, where we've got really good tech, including food tech, but we're mm. really changing what New Zealand actually provides to the world. Mm. Do we shift away from animal agriculture? 
uh, because we just don't, I don't know, we just don't really have the resources here to keep pumping up uh, and scaling up. You know, like even Ekinda, I, we could, even if we wanted to, we couldn't make Ekinda for the world. We just don't have mm. the scale for it. We'll have to probably move overseas to be able to grow and scale. So there's all these questions about, you know, what does that look like? But in terms of food specifically, I think hopefully shifting to a more sustainable system, looking into things like sustainable, like precision fermentation. There's this really cool company called Maruku, um, founders Amos, and they're doing this really cool thing where they put the milk, you know, the milk proteins or mm-hmm. the, the, the DNA or the recipe for that into the plant and then they just grow the plant. Mm. And so there's all these new technologies coming out and these could actually replace your standard dairy, mm. you know, putting cow on the farm. And, and Or there's a, a startup called Leafed in the South Island where they actually extract protein from the grass. Mm. And then that, you know, is used to make dairy products. Wow. So there's all these new things and it's like how do we shift and get mass consumption of these new technologies and mm. replace our standard, you know, cows and sheep on the land yeah. with these. Yeah. So it would just be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I would like more of this stuff to be taken up. Yeah. And it sounds like we've got it all here in New Zealand already, right? It's just a matter of like identifying it and scaling it. Yes. Yep. Yep. And just backing our mm. Kiwi founders. Mm. I'm keen to head into um, – and, and to get your thoughts around, like, what are the current challenges for entrepreneurs on that startup journey trying to launch either in New Zealand or overseas? Quite a broad question, but I want to understand from you and in your experience, like, what have been some of the some of the limitations, whether you've had to deal with, like, tall poppy syndrome or even just the challenge of the economy of scale, you know, not be able to maybe, like, produce. We don't have the facilities here in New Zealand to get that get that scale really really um, pumping. So yeah, keen to understand like what are those challenges in New Zealand for entrepreneurs, startups? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so definitely number one would be the scalability. It has been really difficult for us. You know, we're getting the demand from the consumers, but it's how do we grow it to meet that demand in New Zealand, but also overseas, right? Mm. Scalability. Number two, resourcing. Funding has been really difficult. Yep. You know, I think for the kind of growth we've gotten, I didn't expect it to be so difficult to raise money. Also a very harsh financial climate at the moment, so mm. I completely understand that. But, like, majority of our investments come from overseas. Yeah. You know, New Zealanders just haven't backed. And I'm, I'm a little bit a little bit salty about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> surprising, eh? Yeah, it's just don't – again, it's, that's that thing. We're a country that literally, you know, animal and food – animal Mm. agriculture food we know but yet we're not investing in other forms of food you know really interesting but anyway so that's that's been a challenge tall poppy syndrome 100 percent. like that's a given like it is it is a problem i think in the earlier days it was a problem um but it's not it's not something you can i think it's just something you learn to not dwell on Mm. you know it happens that's cool recognize it move on i think the challenge is recognising that's what's happening. It's not your fault or yep. it's not you. It's just tall poppy syndrome. And yep. I think a lot of people I talk to as well, you know, they'll share stories with me and I've had to tell them, hey, like, keep doing you. New Zealand's got tall poppy syndrome. That's what's happening with you. It's nothing to do with what you're doing. So mm. just keep going forward. Um, so, yeah, but it is what it is. You move on. I think what's interesting is when I was in the States, I was at, I was at a conference Personally, I, in New Zealand, would be described as very out there, mm. a bit, con- very confrontational mm. are very common words that people use to describe me. Okay. Uh, and I remember going to 
the US and I felt like I just was not confrontational enough. Mm. You know, I was struggling to have conversations. I was struggling to even just get in there to have a yarn. Mm. I was like just a little person in the background and it's just so interesting the difference in those cultures. So I think challenges, I think New Zealand needs to really back their founders and grow their confidence because the mm. minute someone starts growing up the ladder and building that in themselves, we kind of pull them down. Yeah, so I true. Think that, that, so that's been really interesting. So true. I was having a yarn with a mate last night um, and he just spent six months over in New York and um, yeah, just talk about like the cultural, the cultural components and like differences between New Zealanders and Americans, like they're so different. Like we've got so much more in common, common with probably people from the UK than we do from people over in America, just around the culture and how we sort of present ourselves. And I know Americans in like the US gets a lot of slack about um, a whole range of horrible social issues, presidents, you name it, um, got a pretty, pretty bad track record. But I think something that they do do really well, again, I'm saying do do, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, something they do really well is they do celebrate success. And that's something which we, I don't think we've really got a grasp on in New Zealand yet is like, like what you said, uplifting more Kiwi founders, entrepreneurs and creatives. Um, because yeah, in, in the US, you know, like they, they're proud to they're proud to talk about their achievements. You know, they're, they're, they'll grab a like a megaphone and scream it at the top of their lungs, and it's like encouraged and celebrated. But over here, I remember even growing up in primary school, if someone was good at something, you call them a tryhard. Yeah, yeah. Remember that saying? It's like you're good at sport, or like or teacher's pet. Yeah, or teacher's pet. Like you, you're actually doing something good. You're talented. You're like performing, and you're just labelled a tryhard or a teacher's pet. It's um. So backwards. Yeah. So I think, believe it or not, the peak of the tall poppy syndrome stuff that I faced would have been at uni. Mm. And the minute I left uni, and I was at a really, it was really tart for me at uni. Um, and I was really lucky to have some lecturers that kind of supported me and just said, hey, Millie, just don't change who you are. Like when you go into the real world, this is all going to be what makes you you. And I was very lucky to have that. If I wouldn't have had that, I probably would have not be who I am right now like mm. I would have gone down a whole different path and probably lost a lot of self-confidence because I was I was just going down this dark hole yeah and then luckily I had those people that brought me out and then you know literally literally the day I finished my degree I was in the startup weekend I was leading a team I was celebrated for my achievements people mm. were like that you're so good at this and getting complimented because of the environment I was in mm. and that's what really built the self-confidence for me to now lead a company yeah you know yeah um, and was that, like, when you experienced that tall poppy syndrome at university, was that from your fellow students? Yep. Wow. I saw them, they were also my friends. Wow. Yeah. Have you got a particular story you can share? Uh, it's just, it's not really stories, it's like, you know, you're being, you're in groups, you're in teams, you're naturally a leader, but just because others don't see it that way, they'll mm. try to bring you down, or because you are doing better than them, they bring you down, and, mm. you know, the thing is, the least thing is you don't expect it from your friends. Yeah. But because, and it's not their fault, it's because the culture we're in, it's normalised to do mm, that. So you know? true. Or like I know, you know, something I really struggled with at uni was, I think I mentioned again, like, you know, there's a lot of hormonal things with females, mm. you know, you can't, I didn't know what was going on. I would, it was really hard for me to get out of bed. I'd really struggle. Mm. I used to get bullied for that, mm. bullied for not coming to class and bullied for not coming to lectures, even though my work was done. And so there's these little things that sound like, oh, not a big deal now, but back then those were huge and those mm. can really hit your self-confidence, your self-esteem because these are the people who should be 
helping you, supporting you, pushing you up, literally pulling you down. Mm. And you're away from home, you're away from family, you're friends from back home. So it was, I think I was actually in a really dark place at uni. Mm. So I was really glad to yeah. move on from that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you look after your mental health nowadays? So, yeah, look, I probably don't do a great job of it right now mm-hmm. just because I'm all over the place. But a few things that I've integrated into my life is get a massage sometimes. Nice. Like, that really helps me. You know, it's like my biggest spend. <laughs> it's good, eh? It's like a real, a real treat for yourself, eh? Yeah. Always, um, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really go get massages, but on the odd occasion, I've got like a voucher or something. Like you go and you're like, you actually feel, you feel so much better, eh? You just like feel so much more relaxed and... Like you've done yeah. – there's very little you actually do something in your day to, like, treat yourself or look after yourself. Exactly. I mm. think for me – I don't know how you feel, but you're on the computer. My neck and back yeah. is just so sore. I want to go to a chiropractor and get cracked out. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. I, like, watch it. those videos of them getting cracked yeah. online. I'm like, no, I need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's me. I also – just making sure I eat healthy as mm. much as I can. Food, healthy. I want to get into more exercise. That's mm-hmm. been the thing that I've kicked off. Yep. But I was talking to my boyfriend last night. We're like, we need to bring exercise back. Like, yeah. it's, getting, it's just hard when you're traveling. I don't know how you do it, you know? Um, but yeah, what else do I do? Um, I definitely try and stay in touch with my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, my core friends, I've got a core group now, and we all, you know, I know who they are. I know they're, they're celebrating me. Mm. They support who I am. Make sure I check in with them. Because, you know, with things with friendships, as you get busy, it's a two-way street. Mm. You can't expect people to be there for you all the time if you're not going to be there for them. So totally. I definitely make time to check in on them and they do the same. And yep. I think that really helps, just having someone I can call mm. or message and, mm. you know, have a chat when things aren't going well. That's really nice, eh? It's, um, yeah, it's so true. You kind of become older. You know, you're not necessarily hanging out with your friends all the time because you're not at school, you're not studying with them, you're probably not working with them. No. So it's, it, it is a two-way street. Like, you've got to put so much effort into nurturing relationships with people because yeah there's been so many times eh, with like such good friends but if you don't reach out sometimes it could take you know you might not talk to them for like eight months six yeah. months and it's yeah. like shit you just got to put the effort in that's you know that's that's really good to hear i think those are really good steps um for looking after your mental health and i know there's a bad sort of track record with different founders around mental health struggles so um yeah it's awesome to hear you on this platform, um, you know, talking about, about mental health, it's, it's a big theme throughout the podcast. Yes. It's something I'm, I'm really passionate about too. You know, the one thing as well that I try and do when I can, mm. this really helps, is going for a cold dip in the ocean. Mm. Like, honestly, that is amazing. Like, mm. I, it's really helped me. So, I mean, where there is a little... Oh. <laughs> Speaking of the ocean. <laughs> I love it. We just had a bit of a, um, bit of a, a water spill. Um <laughs> On cue with the ocean. Hey, it was bound to happen. It's probably poor placement from me. Sorry um, about that. that. But that is actually totally on cue for talking about water. So yeah, like yeah. W- why is why is water um, such? And I t- yeah, like a cold plunge, man. It goes yeah. wonders. It's like a bit of a bit of a cool thing right now. A hot and cold bath totally. and stuff. I mean, I can't. I don't kind of thought an ice shower, uh, ice bath ice thing. Bath, but yeah. honestly, you go to Island Bay, you go out into the ocean. That's an ice bath. Okay? It's free. You go in there. It's <laughs> freezing. And so I think it was like the first or second of September. The sun was out. We're like, we have to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And I went in and I was screaming. I was swearing on the top of my lungs. People yeah. were looking, but. It helped. It like does, my eh? body just felt so good after mm. that. So whenever there's a bit of sun out, we'll just be like, we'll toughen it up and That's just go awesome. for a one minute quick dip. Yep. And honestly, and does wonders. Totally. And, and you'll never regret it. Like you might be walking up to there. It's like there's a cold subtly going on. You're like, I really don't want to do this. But then when you hop into the water and you head back out, like you literally feel like a new person. Eh? Yep. It's almost like a reset. Um, 
there's these cra- crazy ladies that I drive past when I'm coming back home from the gym. And I, I live like basically right on, right on the beach there. And at like about 7am when I'm like coming back home, and this is during like peak winter when it's still dark at 7am, they're like, they're going for swims. Oh my God. There's like a group of like four and five of them. It's like raining and they're out there. I'm like, sure. I couldn't, I couldn't do that personally. One day. That's the goal, eh? Yeah. yeah. Rain or shine. Rain or shine. Um, you mentioned as well that you're, you know, there's been some challenges raising capital, like investment for the company. What does that process look like for, you know, a startup when they're trying to get capital? Um, are you like pitching to different investors? Like what does that whole process look like? Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing it myself. So like there's lots of different options. Sometimes people get people on board to help them, yep. but I've done it on my own. Um, and you just reach out to people. Hope The best way to do it is find someone that can connect you because mm. it just gives that a little bit more leverage. Yeah. I'm meeting people at events, conferences, yep. just networking the shit out of it, man. Yeah, like nice. just a lot of networking yep. and a lot of, hey, okay, if you can't, if you're not able to invest in me, who can you connect me with that might be able to invest mm. in me? So just a lot of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And are you like, when you're sharing, like what, what sort of stuff do you have to share to investors as well? Do you have to share like finances, like sort of strategy, goals, aspirations? Yeah. So I think with, with investors, it's like different stages. So the initial stage, you'll probably just have like a pitch deck mm. and they'll outline your problem, your solution, your market, you know, your product, your team, it's maybe a little bit about your forecasted revenue mm. and what you're raising. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, you might have a more in-depth deck or like a information memorandum document mm-hmm. and then based on where they are in that stage, like every investor also works really differently and that's something I'm trying to navigate. Mm. Um, you might have like a DD room or a data room which has all your information uh, that they can go in and actually look into. Mm. Uh, and But you need to have some sort of trust before you do that because that's literally your yeah. company yeah. details. So, yeah, it just depends who you're talking to. A lot of times... It's just a conversation, you mm. know, and they really like you and then they look at a little bit of stuff and that's it. And I've had a few investors like that. Mm. They're just betted on us as yeah. founders and love our product and know like these guys are going to do well, so we're going to invest. Is it like an election topic at the moment, like food technology? Like you, you'd be thinking that it's such an emerging market and you always hear the government like saying, we need to invest in new industries. So like is there any political talk from either end of, you know, the red or, red or blue spectrum? It sounds like there should... If nah. I was prime minister, it sounds like there should be like some like investment fund or something from the government to like you know for companies to get like seed and capital investment there to is. like scale. There, there is. is, there is, there is. It's called New Zealand Growth Partners under NZGCP. There is, and I did have a chat with them. Um, I think we were just a bit early, so they okay. come in a little bit later and yep. they help companies, especially when they export. So there is uh, investment fund. I'm, I think I'm not sure if it's all government funding or what, how it works, mm. not completely sure. But no, I don't think it is a political topic. Like if anything, they're all talking about how they're going to support farmers and the dairy and meat industry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which, you know, that's that's nice. But, you know, what I think Nationals policy, and I, again, don't know all the details, but they have proposed something to do with GMO and changing mm. how the current genetic uh, modification policies look like. And that uh, will potentially could support that prison fermentation that I was talking about mm, because you true. need you need it's G, because of GMO that you're able to do that. Yeah. So potentially, if there's some changes around our laws around GMO, we might be able to uh, scale 
some yep. of these technologies that people are working in New Zealand on. So nice. I think National's got a little bit of work in there. I uh, met uh, Judy. I went. I was on Judy's podcast. Is jo- uh, the Judy Crusher? Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Crusher and, has a podcast. Yeah, she does on Innovation Nation on Facebook. What? So I think she's very supportive of uh, innovation and food. And yep. Lovely lady. I met her the other day. Um, took, a, took a selfie. That's cool. I think uh, I saw that pop up actually yeah, on, your, you? on your socials. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She loves that cauliflower ice cream idea. So I think she is very supportive of people innovating and moving cool. away from traditional yep. animal agriculture, which is cool. That's cool. cool to see. That's awesome. Keep those networks close. Yeah. Hey, um, before we wrap up, Millie, um, where can people stay in touch with you and your mahi? So at Eat Kinder, E A T K I N D A, all the socials, Instagram, TikTok. Facebook, LinkedIn, and then personally, you can always connect with me, Instagram, millie.kuma, M-I-L-L-I dot K-U-M-A-R, or on LinkedIn, it's my real name, Renali Kuma, nice. M-R-I-N-A-L-I. Awesome. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, I'm actually pretty active. Feel free to touch up, touch base with me anytime, happy to help. Cool, awesome. And we'll finish with, with some um, quick fire questions, um, and then we'll end with a quote. But cool. we'll put the links in the description for where people can find out, um, either get in touch with you or um, check out your awesome cauliflower ice cream, which I'm, a, I'm also going to finish this little pot away. I just want to mention, thing. so we're launching Countdown next month. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's yep. massive. So 90 that, stores nationwide. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. I feel like we should have like, talked about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. I just remembered now as well. That's so good. Oh, man. Congratulations. That's huge. Um, the, the first, and that would be like the first um, supermarket retailer to jump yep. on board. Yep. Awesome. The first of many. Oh, well, Soupy also has it. So they'll be probably the first, yep. but I guess nationwide countdown. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Massive. Big things. Um, cool. Millie, what brings you true happiness? Oh, playing with my dog. Oh, my parents' dog. What kind of dog? Chiku. It's a little Maltese Pomeranian. Oh, nice. And then uh, my partner's uh, family dog is a, uh, what's it called? Kenteria. Kenteria. So just little doggos. Nice. Love it. Advice you wish you knew about when you were younger? Um, oh, it's really hard. So as a kid, I was always told I was unorganised and I asked too many questions. And that's all bullshit because actually asking lots of questions and I'm actually very organised. So mm. not wishing I didn't take that too hard when I was younger. Nice. Yeah. What does legacy mean to you? Just leaving the world a better place. If you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? A reliance on animal agriculture. What do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? So that's a good one. Um, I think just support. Mm. Support and uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, resourcing to support ambition and dream. Yeah. Love it. Cool. We'll finish off with a quote from Winston Churchill. Success is, wa- wa- success is walking from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Thank you, Millie. Thank you so much. Cheers.